1: You're listening to BuzzBeat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show.
2: All right, welcome back for episode 35 of BuzzBeat Radio. Fall is now rapidly approaching. Really, the weather makes it feel like it's kind of here, here these last few mornings. Uh, And we do have a few Hornets hoops topics to tackle in this episode. Um, Don't forget... We're a proud member of the Almighty Baller Radio Network. Please go check out almightyballer.com for other great shows spanning the vast landscape of the NBA. Um, So let's just jump right in here, guys. Richie, I know you've been bogged down with the beginning of schools. We've had a few text conversations about the wonderful kids that you get to teach. Um, (laughs) So they're not giving you any – (laughs) so from what I understand from our text conversations, they're not giving you any trouble to start the year, correct?
1: (laughs) Exact opposite, exact opposite. Yeah, this year it has been rough for whatever reason. I doubt my kids listen to this, so I can probably uh, go full blast here. But yeah, I just think that in fourth grade, they get a little bit more independent. They get a little bit more wild. But the thing is, like there was this legislation, not to bore you, but that was passed down that limited the number of students that can be in K-3 classes, but there's no limit in fourth grade classes. So they're coming from eight teachers in fourth grade down to six teachers, I'm sorry, eight teachers in third to six teachers in fourth. So we got kids, like 28 of them, and it's just hard to control them all because we got we got some behavior kids uh, this year. So it has been rough, definitely uh, losing some sleep over this, but uh, I'll try to make the most of it because there are some kids in that class that I really, really love, but uh, it's sometimes hard to focus my attention on them because the other ones are kind of uh, draining me out.
2: Hanging in there. You do have a hornet themed classroom, yes. right? So they have to enjoy that.
1: Yeah, that was my, my first year I'm doing this. Like, you know, previous years there's just been no really theme, just you know, put up some bulletin board paper and stuff like that. I was like, I ah, I'm gonna do Hornets this year. I, I like it, I like the way it turned out.
2: I love it. Um BG. It. Oh, sorry, yeah. sorry, go ahead. Jump right no, in,
3: gonna, let's go. I was gonna say, uh, Richie, I like how you're uh you're back channeling through the media though to put the uh, to call the kids out. <laughs> It's like <laughs> Like very like NBA NFL coachy of you here, uh, so you're you've, you've 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 already you know you've graduated to that already. So mm-hmm. uh, well done, well done on your part there.
2: Re- really, you're just channeling your inner <laughs> Steve Clifford. I mean, that's exactly what he would do. Um, and not only that, but here's an interesting question: How many of your kids? fathers listen to this show do you think richie do you think it's a good number of them or no I'm, i mean th- i hope i'm, I'm thinking
1: yourself. zero i'm thinking zero
2: <laughs> okay okay all that's, that's all probably right, the right, right number right. i was wonder if westgate has that number uh yeah. and,
4: and,
2: <laughs> <laughs> and we'll talk about the uh the win loss over unders or excuse me the win over unders uh for the eastern conference later in the show brian sports channel eight great how are you my friend
3: i'm doing well uh it's- this week's crazy. Um, with with my with my actual full time job, we're putting together the ACC basketball preview magazine, and uh, it's just a lot. <laughs> it's, just, it's a lot a lot of copy editing the last like week or so, and I feel like my eyes are gonna start bleeding at some point. But things are good, and things are good at uh, at Sports Channel Eight. Uh, just gearing up for football season over there. I know Hayes and Ben. Have uh, got some stuff ready to roll, and our very own meteorologist, the Weather Moose, put out some uh, some tailgating weather reports for uh, the weekend games. So, you know, if you are headed out to Keaton Stadium or or uh, or go to go to Bank of America in Charlotte for the state game, you know, our, our guy Weather Moose has you covered on the latest uh, with what weather to expect this weekend. But uh, I'm good. I'm good, man. How about you, Spencer?
2: I can't complain. Uh, I can't complain at all. I'm, I'm now within the six-week range of my wedding. So um, I'm waking up in the middle of the night almost every night with cold sweats. And, I mean, other than that, though, I'm really excited about the day. No, I'm kidding. I, it's, right. uh, it's closing in fast, which is really exciting. And that's probably a good opportunity to go ahead and say, like, Richie, um, well, not Brian, maybe. Maybe. We'll see when we get there. But And the rest of the Queen City Hoops team they're going to be carrying the website for the first, eh, let's say two weeks of the regular season, because your boy is going to be uh, off the map. Literally, I'm going to be in Mexico. So I'm going to be off the uh, United States map. So Richie, uh, I don't know if I've told you that yet or not, but I'm really going to lean on you kid, uh, for the <laughs> for those first two weeks of the regular season. I figured. Um, yeah, but, but it's all good. That stuff's fun. It, it's kind of been a long engagement, so I'm ready for the, the big day to get here and cool. to get all that behind us. But That is neither here nor there. What is here uh, right now is the Hornets uh, closing in on training camp here, really. And the first thing I think we should talk about tonight uh, is Richie's, um, the first player or player forecast we did for Queen City Hoops. Uh, It went up Monday. We're going to cover every single guaranteed contract player, on the Hornets roster in this player forecast series. Uh, My Jeremy Lamb piece went up today, so go check those out if you haven't seen them already. Richie, really, with that, I just want to throw it to you.
1: Of course, yeah. So what we're doing here at QCH is player profiles. And in the piece, each of the pieces, we kind of talk about the positives and negatives and how we forecast uh, that player for the upcoming season. And like you said, our first two players are Marvin and Lamb. And I, I did mine on Marvin. He's, he's definitely a player that seems to be pretty steady uh, when it comes to the Hornets. Uh, but he did have some up and down numbers uh, from behind the arc. And that was the one thing that I kind of looked at with a little bit of pessimism heading into the season. Because if he doesn't get that down, I think that we could be up for an uphill battle. Because with, he, with him paired up with, with Dwight Howard out there, I feel like he's going to have to stretch the court. He's going to have to stretch the court. And maybe it's going to be one of those things where Dwight Howard helps him. Uh, and vice versa. I'm sure if Marvin Williams starts uh, knocking down those threes, it's going to be easier for, for Dwight Howard to get inside as well. But yeah, I, I think the good thing about Marvin, he's always a constant, constant teammate. You know, he gives a hundred percent effort. He definitely still plays a big role on defense. He actually had his career high in rebounding last season. So that, that's a good thing. I don't think that's going to be the case, uh, this year with, with Dwight Howard on the court. One thing I did note in the piece, and, and maybe I'm overlooking this a little bit is, is, the corner threes he did not do so well in three points in total but like corner threes was was a little bit alarming he shot 46 percent from right corner threes uh two years ago that was dipped down to 31 percent last year and he also had a dip in the left corner not as much two percent but like that 15 percent in right corner threes just seems very drastic to me you know he's he's always done a little bit better in the corners I feel like and I feel like like he's going to have to do that with Dwight Howard I I also made a mention of him you know he might not be the trailer as much because he's not going to get that rebound on the defensive end so he might be up ahead of the pack and he might need to fill in that corner so I'm looking forward forward to a good year I think he will have a bounce back year um, but the good news about Marvin is that I feel like he's just always a constant on this team regardless if his shooting numbers are up or down so what do you guys feel about Marvin in terms of the prospects for this season?
3: yeah'm I'm, I'm excited about uh, about Marvin. I, I think I think you know obviously his play dipped a little bit a little bit last year. you know no doubt about that. but I would say just about anybody if you ask anybody anybody who follows the hornets or covers the team, whatever, heading into last season, who is the most likely regression candidate on the roster? I'm almost certain you would have gotten close to 100 percent of those people saying it's Marvin. He was still pretty good. Um, you know, he still hit, a, a, you know, above average clip of three pointers. I don't think anyone thought, Richie, like you said in the piece, that he was going to hit 40% again. And, and you highlighted the, the corner threes, that dipping a little bit too. Well, also two seasons ago, he shot 39% on above the break threes, which is really, really hard to do. And and that kind of fell to the mean a little bit more last season. He was I think around thirty four, thirty five percent. Yep. You know when you see him when you see him catching a lot of those pick and pop threes with Kemba, or those looks he gets out of horns, or after you know he pops after setting a, a pin down for uh, for Batum. Those are the look he's looks he's getting more times than not. And you know he just he kind of fell back to earth a little bit last season. But like you said, still did a decent job defending the rim last season. Uh, I think actually his his defended field goal percentage at the rim it went up a little bit from two seasons ago to last season. I was actually in the process of trying to pull those numbers up just now. I'll have those in a second. But he still looked pretty spry actually, which was like the uh, which was kind of nice that he I can't even I think did he get Biombo? Was that who he got in the Orlando game yes. in March last year? Uh, kind of a uh, in transition with the slam And and again, if you, I I do think Marvin's one of those guys that to fully appreciate him, you kind of have to watch this team play enough. They just look different when he's out there. And it's, it is kind of interesting that they had a a better offensive rating when Kaminsky was on the court last season, Uh, about 108 points per 100 possessions. Marvin was around 105, 106. So, you know, close And Marvin's obviously playing a lot more against starters and stuff like that, but you know, you know what this team looks like with Marvin. He means a lot to them and and you know, a bounce back year uh somewhere between what he was last season and two seasons ago would be uh, a big boon for Clifford and the Hornets.
2: Yeah, no. I mean, Richie, I thought you laid it out all really well in your piece. Um, and Brian, I really like your point about just you really wouldn't know the value of Marvin Williams unless you watch the Hornets on a nightly basis or at least watch a lot of their games because he does little things that really matter. Even last season um, when he really struggled shooting from behind the arc, which you guys all noted, um, I took down some notes a little earlier, left corner, almost 42%, pretty solid. It's definitely his sweet spot from behind the arc, right corner, um, you know, shade over 30%, Richie, like you said, which is just terrible, quite frankly. And then above the break, Brian, you were pretty much right on the money. He was 32, or excuse me, 34.2% last year. Um, A big, a big digression from the year before. So, you know, I think that Marvin's value on this team still very much lies in how effectively he can shoot the ball. Because when you go and look at the distribution of his offense and where the shots are taken, I mean, I mean, is the vast, vast majority are jumpers. So he really has to provide that floor spacing component uh, in order for Shaw to be successful. But, you know, while I was thinking about that earlier, I thought, let's go see how Marvin was in, in the attacking closeouts, slipping the screens, you know, catching and scoring, being the role man, you know, going to the basket variety of shots last year. And I was somewhat surprised. I mean, I knew he was effective at that kind of herky jerky. Um, you know, floater driving layup kind of stuff. He was 35 of 62, uh, which is about 50, yeah, just north of 56% last season in those variety of shots. That's reassuring. Um, he doesn't have, you know, a, a really quick first step, but he does, he does still have the feel and the craftiness to finish, um, driving the ball to the basket, probably at a higher rate and a higher clip than people think because a lot of those finishes and a lot of those shots don't require Marvin to be able to get all the way to the rim. Probably about a third of them do, but um, I, I was reassured by that. Um, and, and the only, only, only other thing I really took note of is, you know, Marvin Williams played above 30 minutes, just a little over 30 minutes per game last season, which is just too many um, at yeah. his age. That, that cannot be the case again this season. And Richie, I think you, you did touch on that, I think, in your piece um and, and your point too about him not really being the trailer as much in the offense is I think a really important one because it's gonna and, and I gotta think about this more and probably do a little studying, a yeah. little bit more studying, but it's gonna it's gonna bring a different fold to the Hornets offense and how he's gonna be used in the initial action. And I think when you're talking about a player that is as smart as Marvin Williams is and as willing of a cutter, um and finding the open space as he is he just has a high iq for those kind of things i think him as the initial screener and action setter uh, could be a really good thing for the Hornets in this offense. So I, I thought you did a really good job on that piece.
1: Yeah. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. I think you kind of touched upon it too. Like he was able to adjust his game cause he wasn't hitting his threes as well. And he started hitting those running floaters, you know, off those closeouts. So it's going to be interesting to see what the scouting report is next year. I still think they're going to close out hard on him because he is pro, you know, he, he does shoot those threes a lot. Uh, but again, it's just something that you have to account for. He can get inside the lane. Now, one other thing that I did mention uh, was the fact that hopefully, hopefully Monk will draw some, um, you know, more attention. Dwight will draw more attention, and hopefully he'll get a whole lot more open looks, which he did a very good job of last year on uh, wide open threes as well. So it's going to be interesting to see when you add this new pieces in how he's gonna how he's gonna play.
3: It, it also the thing too is you think now if he's trailing a little bit less. There's still some stuff they can do with him, <clears throat> you know, running the pipe that they can use to also get threes with him kind of at the top of the break. You see Golden State do stuff like this all the time where – and, and uh, please believe me, I'm not trying to compare Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson to Marvin Williams and Nick Batum or anything like that. But you, we're thinking two above-average three-point shooters, but you just think with – you get Marvin out ahead ahead of the break – those guys being able to set those sort of like cross screens along the baseline or in that, in the, in the painted area and having one of those guys then sprint out beyond the, beyond the arc in the corner or something like that. Like there's some, there's some new things that Charlotte could try to do to get Marvin some easy catch and shoot, easy catch and shoot looks in transition that are different from the normal sort of like standard baseline trail three that he's become so accustomed to popping over the years too. So there's some new stuff. Cliff could maybe work in, with, uh, with him kind of leading the break without the ball as opposed to, to trailing or something like that.
2: Yeah, and Brian, you know, I like, <clears throat> I like that point a lot because it, it's like, oh, drill This is the, the coach in me coming out here. But it's no, like, baseline-to-baseline baseline sprint drill. Like, if I were Clifford, I would tell Marvin, get in the gym right now and do baseline-to-baseline baseline sprints because mm-hmm. that's what you're going to be doing next year when Dwight Howard gets that defensive mm-hmm. rebound and outlets to Kimba. I want you at half court. You need to be touched in half court or close damn to it to to sprint to the baseline. And obviously, he's not going to really do this in games. But sprint to the baseline. When Kimba brings the ball up and Dwight Howard sets that initial almost like a drag screen action, you're now screening Dwight Howard's man. He's rolling free. You're popping for the shot. And now stuff's happening. I mean, it's that kind of stuff that I think – I mean, and you really got me thinking about that with your point about him being ahead of the break is he's a smart enough player to pull all that off. He understands the angles. He understands where the defensive gravity is coming from. Um, I think that helps Dwight Howard out because he's almost getting a delayed screen action for him because, you know, he's not running the floor like an antelope anymore. You know, so all this stuff kind of fits into pieces, I think, with what Charlotte has. So it is exciting Um, and, and we'll see how it plays out. Anybody else got anything else on uh, Marvin that we haven't touched on?
3: I'll throw this was just because I mentioned this a second ago and uh, didn't have the quite have the numbers right in front of me. It was pretty amazing. Two seasons ago, <clears throat> Marvin hit the. This is the field goal percentage of that of shots he defended at the rim in 2015, 2016. He was amazing that year. One of the best in the league. Forty five point two percent. Now, there's always probably some noise like in these numbers. You know, like there's it. it it's tough, to, it's tough. These are just based off whatever the NBA.com site says were attempts contested by the player. But again, there are going to be some noise. You know, Sometimes it's just the guy who's closest to the person shooting the ball, whatever. But this past season, uh, that number from Marvin went up over 57%. So an increase of 12% on field goals attempted against Marvin Williams at the rim. So you know, he had trouble shooting. His numbers beyond the arc, knowledge, did those drop. But his numbers shooting at the rim fell a little bit last season, and they fell at the rim defensively last season, too. So, again, just another thing to keep an eye on uh, with him this season to see if he's kind of getting back to the form from two years ago, or if that's wishful thinking on
1: our part. Well, I mean, the good thing is he's going to have Dwight back there as well. So if he does get oh, beat, yeah. if he's a step behind, yeah. you're going to have Dwight on the back totally. end, which totally. is interesting, those numbers. I feel like I feel like there's like a stretch like in, in like the new year where he was like blocking like Two shots a game for a whole week. It was ridiculous. I, I don't know, maybe I'm misremembering, but I feel like he did have a streak where he was like blocking so many shots, like kind of uncharacteristically out of out of Marvin there.
3: The, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll know his uh, athleticism is totally kaput when Eric Collins starts, stops describing his threes as bouncy threes. Like <laughs> when, when, when we stop getting that definition for Marvin Williams catch and shoot threes, then it's time to, then it's probably time to hang it up with Marvin. But until then, <laughs> The athleticism is still intact. All right, that's that's my uh, that's my corollary going forward here.
2: Because he hops into his shot, Eric Collins <laughs> does not necessarily mean it's a it's bouncy action. It's just kind of his shooting shooting action. But hey, look, I also was watching some highlights on the NBA stats page earlier of Marvin, and I'm pretty sure Eric Collins. What did he say? Something something that Marvin did well. He compared it to a bag of onions. So I I mean, whatever. Like Eric Collins I it was something I'd have to go back and listen to. It was something something of something of onions. So, anyways, Eric Oz is the best. I mean, come on. Who are we kidding?
4: Um
2: Yeah, I mean, the only other thing I was gonna add was that you know, this this team, I think one of their certainly one of their weaknesses. Or an area they're thin in, at the very least, would be shooting, uh, outside shooting. And you know, I think Marvin is vital in the sense that he kind of has to provide that for this team next season, better than he did last season, more along the lines of how he did in sixteen, uh, or excuse me, fifteen, sixteen. If Charlotte really wants to reach their full offensive potential. Um, I think Marvin's going to help this team defensively. I I think he helps them every single year. But offensively, he's going to have to go back up to where he was uh, before last season if Charlotte wants to reach their full potential because they're already going to have problems with key players uh, stretching defenses out to the three-point line. Um, All right, we good for a little transition here. I was just going to stay on uh, the Jeremy Lamb, just stay in the player forecast while we're here. You guys good with that?
4: That's definitely.
2: Um, so I did a player forecast on Jeremy Lamb came out today. I'll just kind of roll it out and then you guys take it. Uh, you know, I was actually surprised by a lot of things I found when studying the numbers on Jeremy Lamb. Um, I think the overhang, I think the low hanging fruit for Jeremy Lamb's game right now is this simple fact. I mean, last season he improved his true, true shooting percentage, his rebounding rate and his turnover rate turnover rate pretty drastically actually his his PR rating jumped from 15.9 in 15 and 16 to a flat 17 last season and not only that but his PR rating has now increased and improved every single one of his five years in the NBA which actually really surprised me there is a, a slow and steady and very quiet uh improvement that is happening in his game um and I you know, it was going underappreciated to me, and I, like I've said on this show before, will always own property on Jeremy Lamb Island. I have a, I have a, my biggest house that I own is there. Uh, I, I go there many times a year. I will never stop going there.
4: Um,
2: but you know, I I was surprised to to find some of these things. I thought Jeremy Lamb did a really really good job of getting to his sweet spots and understanding where he was most effective offensively last season. He got to the basket or near the basket, 10 feet in a lot last season. Listen to this stat. From less than 10 feet last last season, and this is really an elite stat, the frequency of his offense from this range was right at 37%. He shot 64%, just a shy above that, actually, um, which is incredible for a wing, really. For a shooting guard, that's right up at the top of anybody. And he did a better job. Because of the frequency of shots, uh, almost 37% that he took from there, he did a better job of getting there. I'll open it up here. I was impressed when I really went and studied things how I just think he understood his offensive game more last season, guys. And I think he did really an underrated job at getting there and being more efficient. Because I think Jeremy Lamb takes a lot of heat, and he deserves a lot of it. But I was surprised to, to learn some of that stuff that I just mentioned.
1: Spencer, I'm going to be honest, I haven't read it completely, Uh, but I I will get to it. I will get to it. I was a little bit more concise. You definitely put a little bit more effort into your piece. Uh, But yeah, Lamb has always been one of those guys who's been a little bit um, unique, and he's someone in that second unit last season that he provided something that really no one else could, and that was kind of creation off the dribble. I think his three-point game will never be there. Uh, he can he can improve a little bit here and there, but I just I'm not ever going to expect that out of him. But like you kind of talked about, I, I skimmed your piece a little bit, and, and he did a very good job of getting to the rim. And it's funny because you see this guy; he's very lanky, but he doesn't have like the quickest like speed. So I don't know really how he beats his guy really, but I guess he only needs a couple of uh, you know a step or two because his length will get him you know above above the uh, defender at the rim. I, I really do love how he can he can create off the dribble and get to his spots like you said. His mid range game I really do like. And O'Brien, you probably don't really care for it that much, but you know, he does have a nice little pull up game in that that elbow area. And if um if the defender's too close, then he can kind of get, do a little hesitation and get to the rim that way. And then I'm sure you talked about this in your piece, Spencer, but his his defense is just all over the place, up and down. You look at the guy he looks like he should be able to play defense, just based on his, you know, his physical build. Uh, but there's too many. T- I mean, it's a it's a mental game too. So it's it's too mental for him, I guess. But uh, his physical attributes are there. I, I just wish he would be more consistent on that end. But again, we talked about this before. He probably is one of our most tradable pieces, just because he has some kind of intrigue to him.
3: He's he's one of those guys. It's interesting. I I did probably about a month ago. Um, some, sometime in like late July, I was just bored and was messing around looking at, um, some of his, some of his, some mostly just his offensive output. And yeah, like it's, there's a lot to like there. You, you kind of think if he could just shoot threes a little bit better, like, man, the Hornets would would really have, have a weapon coming off the bench, but 68% field goal percentage in the restricted area. That's, uh, that's basically like as good of a, as like a high level center. That's Um,
2: elite. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's
3: incredible uh, it, out of the pick and roll shot 44%. And that's again, that's really, really good. And he draws a bunch of fouls out of the pick and roll too. But that, that's sort of, that sort of mid forties field goal percentage shooting as a ball handler out of the pick and roll. That's, that's as good as any of the elite guards you'll, that you can think of that run, pick and roll. Like I bet Kemba somewhere, I, I, I'll have to pull it up, but I bet Kemba somewhere in that, in that range too, shooting out of his, mean, Kemba's. Effective field goal rate is certainly higher because he shoots a lot more threes and makes more of them. But I would bet overall from the field, Kemba's about that. And he scored one and a half points per possession on cuts. Like he can play off the ball a little bit too. And he does a good job. We, Richie and and Spencer, you guys were just kind of hitting on this. Like when he gets to his spots. And he can certainly use the bounce to get there, but he's he's good at being able to come off a down screen. They ran a lot of that sort of circle motion action with he and Bellinelli last year, and uh, you know he was good, he did a good job coming off that, putting it on the floor a couple times, and getting to his spots. One of the things I'll I will say, and he also turned the ball over that too, which is really good. Uh, so less than seven percent turnover rate overall, and right about eight percent out of the pick and roll, which is again is really really all of that is incredibly efficient and good and especially like you said in the piece he holds the ball a little bit um now I was looking at this today actually he was uh, six on the Hornets this season in time of possession uh but three of the guys ahead of them were Sessions B-Rob and Weber so again no other than as far as far as guys that played um in 60 plus games I think Kemba and Batum were the only two guys ahead of him in time of possession per game about one and a half minutes per game with the ball. Uh, He was fifth on the team in average time per touch, 3.2 seconds, more than Batum. He was fifth on the team in dribbles per touch, 2.4, also ahead of Batum. So he definitely is one of those guys that like, when he gets the ball, and those are seconds I'm referring to, when he gets the ball, he definitely likes to hold it a little bit and show off the skills and stuff like that, which is maybe not quite what you want from a a rotation bench wing, but uh, for a team that is kind of lacking in, in playmaking and stuff like that. It's it's a nice asset to have off the bench. And if he could somehow get to the three-point shooting that he had with Oklahoma City, his second and third year in the league when he was mid-30s, uh, you'd have a real weapon coming off the bench, even if the defense wasn't there. But, you know, I don't know if that's something they can bank on last year, especially since he shot um, about 28%. And, Spencer, like you were saying about his, his PR, his player efficiency rating, I looked this up a month ago or so. It was for guys six five or under that are twenty five years or under. He had one of the best PERs in the league this year for guys yeah. that were within those two. I mean, it, it was he, he's in he was in kind of impre- pretty impressive category, which that shows you know those again the filters I was using were a little restrictive, and on top of that PER certainly not without its holes as a stat, but yeah, he's a, he's he's an intriguing player. And, and yep. I'll be curious to see really how the first half of the season goes for him this year. If, he, if they end up putting him on the trading block, if Trevion Graham takes minutes away from him, or Malik Monk takes minutes away from him, he's a, he's a guy to watch for the Hornets off the bench.
2: Yeah, I mean, he, I, you know, all great points, Brian. I, I think he just—what I like about what I saw today and yesterday really doing this piece and research is, researching is that it looks like Jeremy Lamb has really subscribed to the Steve Clifford School of Thought. Which is really at, his, at its essence is just make the game simpler, do the little things. He did last season at, at a really impressive rate. He shot the ball better, but not only that, he got to the spots where he's the most efficient more often. Okay. So true, true shooting percentage goes up. He rebounded the ball mm-hmm. at an incredible rate for a wing. He could, if Jeremy Lamb ever gets it on both ends, he could be the best shooting guard rebounder in the entire NBA. Yeah. He, he's that good of a rebounder. Yeah. And then his the turnover rate dropped dramatically, which we all know is a very Steve Clifford thing. Um, and then, Brian, to your point really about him pounding the rock too much, I actually ran across this stat, which is like mind-boggling. When he, when he used seven or more dribbles in one sequence last season, he shot almost 58%. On two-point field goals. So, of course, you're not going to take a three-pointer if you're taking seven-plus dribbles, unless you're Jamal Crawford. So, 58%. <laughs> yeah. That is incredible. his It's his length. He has a quicker step than you would think on the dribble. It's just his lack of understanding of how to get to his offense quicker and how to do it. The rip-through, the jab step. Get into your offense. He always gets the ball, and if you really watch Jeremy Lamb, his first instinct, and this just goes back to youth basketball, is to just dribble the basketball and not utilize that triple threat position. He's never been good at that. That stuff catches up to you on the next level. I think that's why you see somewhat of a delayed development for a 25-year-old Jeremy Lamb. But I can tell you guys, I I really think the Hornets are going to have a tough decision Uh, In the summer of 2019, if they don't trade him before then, because I do think he's going to improve next season defensively and offensively. Um, I think he'll be the first shooting guard off the bench for the Hornets. There's really no excuse for him not to be. Um, And and that's going to come with a very nice contract that, that he does have if he does make this jump. A trade deadline where guys where teams are gonna be looking to upgrade at the wing position, not only this trade deadline, but certainly next when he's an expiring contract. I mean, there's all kinds of factors here that make it very difficult for Charlotte to hang on to this guy long term if he does indeed make that jump. All that's theoretical, I understand that, but when you really dig into this guy like I got you the last few days, you see some stuff that um that make uh, make his long term uh, career in the NBA maybe look a little a little brighter than I, yeah. I think a lot of people maybe realize. And to your point, Brian, yes, Travion Graham is going to push him yeah. in training camp. That. And, and of course, Monk is right there too. So there's a lot of stuff in the air, but all the opportunities there for Lamb.
3: Yeah, I'll, I'll add this about Lamb. This is this is guys that are six five and under in the NBA last season that had a defensive rebounding rate above twenty two percent. There are only two guys. There you and- go. Jeremy Lamb and Russell Westbrook, which are – you probably Since – we're talking Lamb and you could probably – Westbrook probably would have been one of y'all's first three guesses if I, had, if I had posed that in question format. But those were the only two guys that had, that were six, under 6'5", that had a, a, D, a defensive rebounding rate over 22%. Yeah, Lamb can like, – like you said in the piece today, Spencer, uh, Lamb can certainly go up and get it. And it will be interesting to see, too, when that contract is expiring. You know, it's around when they're going to have to make some other decisions on guys like Kaminsky – um, possibly also on you know Dwight Howard, depending on what what you know if he's still in Charlotte at the time too. So it's gonna be it's gonna be happening at an off season when, <clears throat> pardon me, the the Hornets are gonna have to be making some other decisions as well too. P- potentially.
2: It's it's gonna be an interesting year, Richie. Were you gonna say something?
1: I was gonna say like we we drafted Dwayne Bacon. I feel like this guy is like a carbon copy of, of, of Lamb. When you were talking about defensive rebounding stats, and I know it was just summer league, but I felt like he did a very good job uh, re- rebounding the ball on defensive end. And when it comes to his mid range game, he's both of them are very methodical in the way that they move. And you talk about the seven dribbles, uh, Spencer. That, that's just funny to me because you see the ball moving, and then once when it hits Lamb's hands, I feel like the offense just changes. It's, it's like slow motion. It's like slow motion.
2: Yeah. He has to pound it. It just yeah. like re- releases like estrogen from him, yeah. or me, <laughs> Yeah, you know, it gets his it gets his brain waves moving in the right direction. You know, it, I don't know what hit. it is.
3: Dopamine hit. It's like a yeah, yeah. There you
2: go. It's a dopamine. You, hit. you
3: mentioned Jamal Crawford. Crawford is like the perfect example of that too. The like Clippers can run. The Clippers the last couple of years will run beautiful, floppy action for JJ, and you know they'll do this these like these sort of like pinch post pick and rolls with. Uh, with Blake and, and Chris Paul, But then when Jamal comes in, it's showtime, you know what I mean? Like, clear it out. Everyone, you go over there. You get in that corner, and I'm going to uh, pound it a, a little bit here. So uh, Lamb's not quite like that. No, no one's quite like Jamal. But, uh, but, yeah, you're right. It does. It gets a little sticky on offense <laughs> when, uh, when Lamb enters the game.
2: And, yeah, and Richie, you don't have to edit out the estrogen part. Jeremy Lamb, if you ever listen to this or any Hornets player or, or team personnel member, I have no idea why I just said estrogen. I'm an <laughs> idiot. So, uh, I, I, did, I didn't mean to say that. I mean to say dopamine. Thank you, uh, Ryan. But anyways, um, yeah, moving on probably at this point. Um, let's go to the Westgate uh, Superbook, the Vegas projections uh, for win totals for, for the Eastern Conference this year. Um, we'll start with the Hornets and then we can talk about that. And if you guys want, we can just kind of move to the Eastern conference and give our quick okay. hitting thoughts. Um, the Hornets are at 42 and a half, uh, for this coming season personally, just real quickly. And I'll turn it to you guys. I think it's a little low. I think it's almost right. I would put it at about 43 and a half. Um, I know that's not a huge difference, but I would definitely take the over there for the Hornets.
1: I'm with you. I think 42-and-a-half uh, is going to be attainable for us considering uh, the new acquisitions we had, and just hopefully we can stay healthy and maybe we get a bounce back year from Marvin. Um, I think that we're going to eclipse that 42-and-a-half that win mark.
3: Yeah, um, I'm with you. The additions, a guy like Dwight, the East is somehow going to be worse this season than it was last year. Plus, I also think the point differentials they've had the last couple of years have actually undersold. Uh, they've, they've this team is better, I think, than the record has implied. Even two years ago, uh, when they had a, the point differential, of probably a forty nine te- win team, not a forty eight win team. And I just think, as long as Kemba stays healthy, then yeah, they're they're definitely going to finish um, more than a game or two above uh, above five hundred. That's factoring in maybe for some slight regression from Kemba too. I, I still think they're they're closer to the mid forties, upper forties.
2: So let's look at the rest of the East here. I think there's some interesting nuggets. Let's start with Boston. Uh, and let's see here. This is after the trade, correct? Correct. Yeah. I think, I think there's,
3: okay. I believe this is factoring in Kyrie Irving on the Boston Celtics roster.
2: Okay. gotcha. got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I see. You. Okay. So <clears throat> Boston at 56 and a half. Um, Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot, man. Uh, um, I mean, I, I I don't personally hate it. I, I would have a hard time betting on that. I would probably take the under uh, if my money was really on it. But, you know, I'll, I'll say I do think Kyrie is going to make the Celtics a better team. Yes, they're losing Jay Crowder. I know he's very important on the wing. I know he's almost like the Marvin Williams, if you will,
4: yeah.
2: uh, of that Boston team. But I think Kyrie just makes them so much more dynamic. Good luck even having a sniff at containing them, uh, especially their starting five offensively, um, or their clutch lineup, if you will. But I, yeah, I, I don't know if I'd take fifty-six and a half. I think it, I think I'd take the under there.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think they're going to be, you know, assuming this deal does in fact go through with Kyrie, which seems like they're going to find a way to make this work. Yeah, they're going to win their their fifty-plus games, but man, fifty-seven or more—that's that's, that's uh, it's just a lot. Uh, I just can't see that. I wouldn't. I would not. I would not bet the over uh, on that. I would go under, and I could see them comfortably winning fifty-five games and being, you know, top ten in offense and close to that in defense or whatever too.
1: It's it's kind of crazy how much of a difference this is compared to Ke- uh, Kevin Pelton's numbers from you know earlier yeah. in the month. How you know, right. drastic that is. I know he. I think at that time the trade hadn't happened, obviously, but fifty-six right. and a half is, is kind of crazy high. You know, Kyrie's an elite player, but. I just don't see that happening. And you, you have to factor in the fact that they have these new acquisitions with, with Hayward and, and Kyrie. And, you know, it always seems like teams like that that kind of bring in a couple of superstars, um, they take time to gel a little bit. So maybe they'll, they'll go on a hot streak towards the end of the season, but I think maybe they might struggle a little bit in the early you know parts of the season to kind of gel. And I don't yeah. ever, them, you know, I don't really see them reaching 56 wins.
3: They're there's, there's basically saying this, that like, you know, Kyrie is the difference, and this is we're going from Kevin Pelton using RPM to whatever algorithm Westgate's using. But <clears throat> do you think Kevin? Do you think Kyrie Irving is worth is worth seven wins, whatever over whatever Jay Crowder is? Like I, I bet not. And Kyrie was worth about nine wins, had had nine win shares last season. Uh, and I'm guessing Crowder must have been, you know, probably at around a handful or so too. So no, I would I would probably go go with the uh, the under here.
2: I, but I can see the logic in it. Like, like Boston will be hungry to get home court advantage over Cleveland. Like they will try harder in the regular season than the Caps, Right. Because they'll, they'll know, like, if we do not have home court advantage in the Easter conference finals, you know, and we play Cleveland, like (laughs) we have very little chance to win the series. So like they know that it's gotta be in Boston, the first two games in the seventh game. Um, That's where that makes a little bit more sense. Like the human factor of that number makes more sense than the mathematical factor.
4: Um,
2: So I get that. All right, Cleveland at 53-and-a-half. That's another really tough one. I I mean, to me, it's just all about the Isaiah Thomas injury. I would take the under, again, if my money's on it because – I do get a little concerned about that Thomas injury. I think he'll be ready next season to contribute when it matters because I think Cleveland will be careful with yep, him yep. because they have to be, because they have to uh, yeah. coax LeBron to stay in there somehow. But, um, but yeah, I, I would probably take DeAndre. I think they're not going to be a great team in the regular season this year,
1: or this year. Yeah, I would agree. I'm not a betting man, but, again, that, that number seems a little high to me. And it's going to be interesting to see. I know that you said that Thomas has, has his injury issues. I don't know when he's going to be fully healthy and ready to go, but I would like to see his fit compared to Kyrie, who who pounds the rock and a very isolation type of player. You know, I wonder if, you know, he can play a little bit more off ball. He probably complements LeBron a little bit better when fully healthy. And they're obviously adding Crowder as well. And I would like to see how those guys mesh in with LeBron. But like you said, Spencer, the, the human factor, Cleveland always tends to like, kind of rest their starters uh, a lot in the season. So I can see why this number is lower than Boston, but again, it's too high for me.
3: Yeah. And and what's interesting too, it's like, you know, they don't need Thomas October 17th. They don't need him for the Christmas day game. They maybe don't even need him for a a Wednesday night in January. They probably need him post, you know, I mean, I think he'll be back before this, but really they just probably need him like post all-star break, uh, leading into the playoffs. And so, that's what does make me like a little concerned about his health. If if they're thinking, hey, you know, this guy might not be ready at all until at any point last season. Like, is is the Isaiah Thomas as a superstar era over already before it even got to got got to get going in Cleveland? I mean, I don't think that's the case. I hope that's not the case, but I think there is like a little bit of a red flag there. But no, nah, I think I I would go under with this. They they didn't win this many games this past season, so I, right, I just see them i can't see them they don't need they're not even motivated to win 55 games so like why why go for it so nah i would take the under on that too but
1: they do have derrick rose down
3: that's true
2: it's true
3: (laughs) they got jeff Jeff green too baby oh Oh, 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 baby (laughs) Uh,
2: okay yeah that's definitely the transition there all right toronto 48.5. 48 and a half I think this is the most ridiculous one I, I think get yeah. lost with that projection I, I don't think they reached that I don't even think even close uh, they just lost PJ Tucker Patrick Patterson and Corey Joseph all serious uh, yeah. contributors to that yeah. team I mean if you think Toronto's gonna win 49 games then keep smoking whatever you're smoking because <laughs> I mean if that happens I will personally apologize to you yeah. you can reach out on Twitter tomorrow morning or the next morning whenever this thing goes live and tell me that I'm an idiot But I do not see Toronto winning, I I think, 45 might be their ceiling. I mean, Drozen's a great player. I understand he's in his prime. Kyle Lowry might still be in his prime. Like, I get it. They have those two guys and make everything go. But unless you expect some a DeLon Wright to make a big jump, um, you know, I mean, unless you expect these young players that Toronto's kind of been keeping in the the casting net to, to really make a jump out, uh, and, and improve the season. I think that is super ambitious, and I'm really shocked at that number. I feel
1: like these numbers don't even add up. Like I feel like these numbers, when you add them all up, it's it's way more than it needs to be. Like like you're saying, this is way too high. Um, yeah. It may not way too high. May, maybe you know three or four here or there, but it could have been worse with Toronto. You know, there's you know rumors out there that Lowry not might not return. Uh, at least at least they got him back. But, yeah, I, th- I think Patrick Patterson might actually be one of the biggest losses here. You know, P.J. Tucker came late in the season, but Patrick Patterson, um, I love that guy. Love that guy. So without him, again, don't see them reaching 48 wins. Again, I'm not a betting man, so I don't really know what I'm doing here. But, yeah, that, that seems a little bit high.
3: Yeah, Patterson's an RPM, like, on-off monster for them, which is also one of the reasons why they're, like Pelton's win projections for them were about 43. Like, Patterson was a pretty big deal for them to lose in terms of that and, you know, Ibaka and Lowry got a year older, so did DeRozan, and look, I mean, I've been pretty honest about DeRozan not really being my guy, he's still awesome, but I just don't think he can be as good, I mean, I don't think he'll be as good again as he was this past season, although the Ringer wrote something, I think today or yesterday, about, you know, what if DeMar DeRozan can start making threes the way he does two-pointers, and it was like, yeah, what if he can learn to fly? And we discover the cure for world peace. Like he's played a bazillion <laughs> basketball games and hasn't even once tried to figure out a three-point shot. He
1: doesn't so, attempt like, threes. He doesn't even try.
2: Not, not, Brian yeah. has also been pretty clear about his distaste for the. There's not a direct correlation there either. But I, anyways, side note. Let's just, let's just say I didn't click
3: <laughs> up the link when I saw it, so maybe I should have because I would have maybe gotten the the upshot of the article. Maybe I'm, I'm sure it was well researched and stuff like that. But I saw it was just like, yo, I mean. Come on, man. Yeah, and what if Frank Kaminsky can average twenty-five points a game next season too? Like, yes, it would be awesome if these good players could be better. Totally, but what in the realm of possibility can we actually uh, project? Well, I don't think DeMar DeRozan turning into Steph Curry is uh, happening anytime soon. He probably
1: doesn't even care to be a three-point shooter. To be honest, I I, I feel like he doesn't even try.
3: He has a $100 oh, yeah, million dollar contract. He's an all-star. He's an Olympian. His team's win 50. Like, he doesn't. Why? Why Why? figure out how to learn a three-point shot? Like, he, he doesn't. What's the motivation? Um, so, I think,
2: so, I think we're all in agreement on Toronto. It um, <laughs> sounds like at least. Yeah, we're going under um, on all these. Yeah. <laughs> these numbers don't <laughs> yeah, add it's up.
1: Yeah, that's true. All
2: right. So, I. but I'm about to buck the trend. And let's try to cruise through these. Yeah. Well, we've already covered Charlotte. But we'll yeah. cruise through these last few a little quicker. Milwaukee, 47 and a half. They're kind of like the Minnesota of last offseason, I feel like, except for they made the playoffs the prior season. Um,
1: overhyped, you're saying?
2: Well, no, no, no. I'm just saying like, well, yeah, obviously Minnesota was overhyped, you know, looking back now. But I actually like this for Milwaukee, 47 and a half. I think they're the third best team in the Eastern Conference. I would not feel great about it, but I would take the over there. I think they're the next team in the East that, like, has a chance outside of Boston and Cleveland uh, to, to get 50 wins. I, I just – I don't know. I, I, all these guys are ready to make a leap. They reinsert Jabari Parker. God, please let him stay healthy. Um, you know, please, please. Um, back into their lineup. And I don't know. Like, Milwaukee, I just think they can be really effing good if everybody's healthy and and things are clicking, which really, quite frankly, for the most part, last season they were. Of course, they lo- they lost Parker. That hurt them a lot. So I like this for Milwaukee. I actually would take the over there.
1: Yeah, I'm not as high on Milwaukee as you are because I heard you last episode with, with uh, JMG talking about how high you were on Milwaukee. Uh, I, I am not as high on Milwaukee. I do think I mean, they could potentially be the third best team in the East, but again, this number to me is still a little high. I view the East this year maybe not down, but I feel like it's more level. It's not as top heavy. I feel like it's a little bit more level this year. So I don't really expect to see these high numbers towards the top of the, uh, the Eastern conference. Uh, I would still take the under here, Spencer.
3: Yeah, I'm with you guys. I, I would, I think I would, I think I'm with, I think I would go with Spencer and say, uh, I'll of. take the over, but <laughs> I mean, I could see it, I could see it going, going right, under yeah. very easily, especially if Jabari doesn't get hurt, but, you know, if Jabari does get hurt, I could see them struggling a little bit. But uh, I just kind of think internally they bring back all these awesome young players. You play Thon McCour a little bit more, and Giannis takes a step, and yeah, why not? The you know Snell keeps hitting threes. Brogdon's a monster again, and yeah, like I I could see them you know winning a few more games this year. And it would be a big jump to go from forty two to 48, 49, But you know, we'll see.
2: Uh, Washington, 47 and a half, the same number as Milwaukee. I think this is just right for them. Uh, I think I would take the under. I just don't really think they did anything. I mean, I, I know they didn't have any flexibility to improve in the offseason. They traded their first round pick. Um, you know, th- there was no way for them to get better. They were up against the tax. So they got, oh, oh, Tim Frazier. Yeah. They did trade a second round pick or whatever for him. So it's an upgraded backup point guard. Other than that, they're the exact same team, and they're praying for good health because they're so thin. Mm-hmm. I, I think if I'm betting, I, I take the under.
1: Yeah, their, their bench is pretty bad, uh, but this is—I like, I love this team. I'm, I'm a big, you know, Wall and Beal fan. Uh, when they got it clicking, uh, they're they you're they're one of the top duos in in the league. Forty-seven and a half. Ah, golly, I will take the over, uh, but 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 barely, but barely.
3: Yeah. I'm, uh, you know what? I'm, I'm with I, again. The margin is thin, but I'm going to go with Richie. I'll take the over ever so slightly. Spencer, don't forget they got your boy Mike Scott on the team this oh, year. Oh, god, so that's He right. actually might, he actually might pair nicely with with Wall. Um, you know, just run the floor, hit some corner threes and stuff like that. But yeah, the the bench is no good. You know, we'll see if they can get another good year out of out of Gortat and they have, just have so much money tied up in Mahimi. Um, yeah, I, I'm just hoping if Wall and Beal stay healthy, though, I think this team can win 48-49 games.
2: Miami, 43-and-a-half. I actually um, actually like this number for them. I think between Miami and Charlotte, I think that's your kind of final tier of the East. Um, I think Charlotte should be projected just where Miami is. I would take the over for Miami. I, I just think this group was really good last season. I think they were motivated uh, by the end of that season when they just got spurned from the playoffs. God, I wish that team would have made the playoffs instead of Chicago. What a shame. Um, And I I just kind of think they have some some red ass because of that. Now, a lot of these guys got paid in the offseason. James Johnson, Deion Waiters, you know. Miami gave out, you know, Pat Riley gave out some contracts that are not really, uh, it's not really Pat Riley-esque. So that makes me a little nervous. But Miami just develops... Talent, um, and you just look at their track record with players, and you kind of have to trust it. I think this team, honestly, the the craziest thing I'll say on the show, I actually think Miami could like flirt with fifty wins if everything falls the right way. I mean, I really, I mean, there's a lot of good players down there. I mean, Goran Dragic's having a good year. Hassan Whiteside, yeah. like he seems to be motivated again. Deion Waiters continues the uptrend. You know, James Johnson is that that nightmare power forward matchup that nobody can figure out. Like there is a world where Miami could be the third seed in the East, maybe the second, a lot of people will
4: well, yeah. you know, think I'm
2: crazy there, but yeah, I mean, I think they'll definitely win a 44 plus.
1: There's also a world where Miami can finish eighth too. I think, I mean, I think sure, yeah, no it, doubt. it's one yeah, of those yeah. things like when you look at that late season run or, you know, where they went, you know, ratted off so many wins in a row. Like was that, truly more of their team or was more of their team the the part before that where they were struggling um, you know they needed that late push to even get in the playoff picture you know it's probably somewhere in between I would say that Charlotte you know his win total needs to be higher than Miami so I, I would say I would take the under here with with Miami at 43 and a half um, they're probably going to hover right around 42 43 wins um, so I mean it's it's right there the numbers the numbers pretty accurate but I don't think that they should be ahead of Charlotte
3: yeah, I'm with you guys. It, it is it's a perfect number for them. I'm going to go over slightly. They're really well coached. Spolstra is is one of the best in the league, and certainly has been was deserving of um, of some. Rec- I mean, I know D'Antoni won Coach of the Year, but he was he was worthy of some acknowledgement for for being a contender for that award. They add Bam Adebayo, who's a, a rookie. I think the three of us all are kind of intrigued by, and. Um, you know, big year ahead for Justice Winslow. We'll see if he can knock down a few shots for them actually. If he uh, he's if he doesn't, and he's gonna end up being one of these sort of draft pick guys that I was way, way, way wrong on. He might be I, I worse thought,
1: than Kaminsky. He might turn out I, worse than Kaminsky.
3: I, I thought he was gonna wow. be serious, yeah, yeah. but man, the guy remember, he is about three years younger than Frank. But I mean, if the guy can't make a jump shot, like what do you what do you do? So mm-hmm. we'll see. Big year ahead for him, but He's another intriguing piece. They get to add to this sort of, kind of aggressive positionless uh, contingent they have down in South Beach.
2: Um, we talked about Charlotte forty-two and a half. I think we're all uh, okay. on the over there, which we stated, and again, we're going to talk about all that more on our massive uh, season preview coming here during training camp uh, in the near future. And then Philly, <laughs> Philly Ooh. is the last team we'll cover. Westgate has them at 42 and a half wins. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, I not happening. I, hey, no, yeah, I like will that. say, though, I think I think
1: Philly sneaks into the playoffs at the eighth seed. I don't know if it's going to be 42 or 43. They wins. might. We'll
2: I, see. Yeah, they might. And they're going to be th- 43 wins. It might only take 35 <laughs> wins to get into yeah. the playoffs. Yeah. But, yeah, I, that that's a little ridiculous to me. The numbers no, 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 no. high.
1: The number's high. The the ranking, I don't mind it, but the number definitely looks high to me.
3: Like, is Embiid gonna play forty two games this year? I think Vegas just <laughs> yeah, smells he, blood. he wins
4: all of them, right you there. Know, yeah. Like, like yeah.
2: Philly Philly is the popular Trinity team.
1: Vegas smells <laughs>
2: blood in the water and they and yeah. they're gonna bait everybody <laughs> in. It's yeah. what they do, it's why they run the world.
3: We've seen we've seen Simmons, Fultz, and Embiid play a combined thirty-five professional games. And those are the guys we're, like, counting on to just win them 43 games. I mean, come on. Uh, Sarge is a great player. Uh, obviously, I'm, I'm excited to see Simmons and Fultz and, and a full, hopefully a full season of Embiid. But hey, dude, come on. And, you know, Reddick's there too. But come on. Uh, no, nah, I'm taking. I would go under on this all day.
2: Crazy. Um, that just seems a little ridiculous for me. I actually saw a hilarious tweet, and I can't remember who put it out there today. but said <laughs> that. Uh, I'll eat my I'll eat my betting ticket and then personally apologize to every single person who disagrees <laughs> with me if the Sixers win 43 or more games. Uh, I would tend to agree with that. Yeah. No disrespect to the Sixers. Look, they're doing what they should do. Mm-hmm. I mean, great job on getting Reddick on that. Quite expensive, but who cares because you had the cap space, you had to spend it, and it's a one-year deal. I mean, look, they got a lot better. If they stay healthy, they could certainly win somewhere around 40 games. but 43, it's not happening. No. Okay, so let's just move on from that. Um, all right. Uh, actually, I, I do want to talk about one other team. Uh, Pelton had – I don't know what sport I, I could look it up right now. But anyways, Pelton had the Pistons at 35.1 is what his projection was wins-wise. I think that one's pretty interesting. There yeah. was such a huge gap, guys, between his seventh team, which was Miami, yeah. at 42.3 and And then this eighth team uh, in Detroit was 35.1. The Pistons make me nervous, but for a lot of different reasons, I just think their backs are up against the wall with a lot of different players. Jackson and Drummond really headline that. Like in Avery Bradley and that team wins more than 35 games, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. This is kind of how I like looking at Kevin Pelton's numbers. This is kind of how I view the East. Like I said, I feel like it's going to be a little bit closer the teams are probably going to fall in, in place like that like the Westgate did as well, but I just feel like the numbers are definitely lower with Kevin than it is than it is Vegas and I kind of view it that way. But Detroit's number 35. That just does seem a little bit low for them. I still don't I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, but I think they'll get more than 35 wins. I think they'll be right there around the 8th or ninth seed. Yeah. Again, I'm sticking with my Philly at 8 and maybe Detroit at 9, but 35 uh, yeah, that that just seems low to me.
3: Uh, I I agree, and I think Vegas does too. Uh, Westgate had them at thirty eight and a half
1: wins, which seems
3: a, a little bit cl- right. You know, we'll see if Reggie Jackson's healthy this year. Uh, if Drummond can give him anything on the front line, um, you know, I mean, he did average a double double last year, but I think everyone kind of thought he was going to make a jump, and it, it seemed like maybe he regressed a little bit. But man, I would think uh, you know Ish Smith and yes. and Avery Bradley, and you, you think those guys should be able to you know, especially in the east where you know, a third of the teams are tanking or whatever not a third, but you know, a fair amount of the teams are tanking. Yeah, yeah about a third. Yeah, I, I think they could get closer to that 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 thirty-eight that thirty eight mark. But it is interesting to find that group in the east that's between the teams like Chicago and Brooklyn that are obviously tanking and then this sort of like middle of the pack in the East, which is like, you know, however you want to split it up, Charlotte, Miami. You know, maybe if you know Philadelphia is somewhere in there too. Just it's just a, it's weird to see those teams that are like you can't tell if they're going to try to like contend or if a certain point in the year they'll get to and they're going to be like, well, we're just going to start shutting shutting dudes down and, and tanking and stuff like that. And Philly is certainly you know a candidate for that. Well, um, and maybe
1: Pistons are too. They'll they'll always contend by accident at the end of the of the East. You know those those teams on the East typically like an eight seed fall below the uh, the five hundred mark. But uh you talked about Reggie Jackson. For whatever reason, I don't know what your opinion on that guy is, but I'm not a, I'm not a fan of his. Not a fan of his. When Ish Smith was in there when they were running the offense. It yeah. just looked way smoother, way smoother. And it, obviously, he's a pass first type of guy compared to Reggie Jackson. And um, I, I love Ish Smith. Love, love how he played with that second unit with Detroit. And I remember watching one game. Cannot remember. It, it, they had this. Uh, I, kinda, I think it was like an overtime game, maybe against Toronto. And uh, Ish Smith led them back. And Reggie Jackson didn't even see the court. I think he was healthy at the time too. So. Um, I, I just love the way that Ish Smith plays the game. It's, it's kind of how I want my point guards to play, not like a Reggie Jackson. Never really been a big fan of his.
3: It, it's just my guy, man. I, I mean, I'll always remember him when I was a Wake fan growing up. Mike Conley was supposed to go to Wake, and he and Greg Oden ended up committing to Ohio State instead. And so Wake had to pivot, and Ish Smith was the like fallback guy they got in the class of 2006 to help replace uh, Chris Paul and so it's just cool as hell to see ish like carve out you know an eight seven eight year career in the nba uh and make finally make a little bit of money in detroit too so they definitely ran a little smoother with him at the helm as opposed to reggie who had you know i thought i thought in oklahoma city he he, like he should have gotten more pt there and played with westbrook more but uh Nah, there's weird vibes with him after he left OKC and in Detroit, too. And um, so, yeah, no, nah, I'm not the biggest uh, Reggie fan myself.
2: Yeah, Reggie's all about Reggie. Um, <laughs> he thinks he's one of the best point guards in the NBA. Uh, he, he's, frankly, uh, a selfish player, not a really uh, great team guy. It's just, I mean, no wonder Stan Fang, he's not a Stan Van Gundy point guard. Good grief. Yeah. Um, I, I'm actually shocked that he really took the job with yeah, with him him a part of that system there. But, yeah, so, something feels like it's about to collapse in Detroit, um, and and Jackson appears to be right in the middle of that. So it'll be interesting, but I still think 35 wins is a little low for right. them, to y'all's point, because Ish Smith is, can still drive the ship and probably – uh, at, at a more efficient rate than, than Jackson can. All right. So let's cover two more topics uh, rather quickly here. Okay. Let's, let's say we got about 15 minutes if we can. Um, I wanted to toss it to Brian. Um, I know you went on the radio last week, Brian, to talk about the, the Kyrie uh, Isaiah Thomas trade, the Boston Cleveland deal. What are your general thoughts? Who won, who didn't? Um, this has been kind of a fiasco, uh, quite frankly, since it all yeah. first came out. Just give us kind of your, uh, your thoughts. And actually, where did you go on the radio to talk about that? Yeah,
3: well, uh, I'll shout out uh, 99 The Fan uh, uh, up here in, in the Research Triangle area in Raleigh. Um, I go on with one of their afternoon shows, Adam and Joe, uh, with some frequency. And we'll be doing that a lot more uh, next NBA season. So So keep an eye out for that. But uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I think I think a lot of us are kind of in 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 accord on this. Of you know, we all know Kyrie Irving is this dynamic, incredible offensive player that's won big games in the playoffs, and he's going to make the Celtics really tough to defend, like you said a little bit ago, Spencer. But Cleveland did an awesome job in this deal, uh, assuming it goes through. And you know, you got to give Dan Feldman at at NBC some credit for being kind of the first guy to be like. Hey, wait a second! You know this trade might not go through if if it doesn't pass the physical. So, is there some acknowledgement for that? But uh, you know, it's funny to see the return that Cleveland got when you when you base it off what some of the other superstars went for. Everyone hammered Sacramento for Boogie Cousins. Everyone hammered the Bulls for Jimmy Butler, and people rightfully so hammered the Pacers for Paul George. And then Cleveland went, goes out and they get a guy like Crowder, who's in the middle of an awesome contract, seven years, $35 million, perfect piece to, to play alongside LeBron, makes Kevin Love uh, expendable, too, perhaps, as a, as a trade asset. And, you know, and, and then, of course, you get that the Nets pick, too. And that is a, like a lifesaver for them because you can either, if you, if you get some assurance from LeBron that he's going to stay beyond 2018, which, I mean, good luck with that. I don't think that'll happen, but you could take that pick and Kevin Love and go get two wings that can shoot threes or go try to get another star, Boogie Cousins, Anthony Davis, whatever. Or, you know, more likely, if, even when LeBron leaves, well, you can use that to, you know, maybe that pick's Marvin Bagley. Maybe that pick is uh, Michael Porter. Maybe that pick is, uh, I don't want to mispronounce his name, but the guy that plays for uh, – for Real, uh, over the Slovenian guy, Luka uh, Dunsic, I think is the name. But it might be any of those guys. Then you can go forward and, and build around that. So the Cavs kind of did a great job edging, edging on the future a little bit here and setting themselves up for uh, you know, the, the earth won't be totally scorched if LeBron leaves. And it is kind of funny, too, because in, in the context of the Hornets, we were all kind of laughing when we saw some of the proposed trades that were Kemba, Malik Monk, and I think a pick. Kyrie was wasn't that something and we were just thinking there's yeah. no way in hell that'll happen and uh you know sure enough the the Cavs got a got a haul that's included one of the best trade assets in the entire NBA which is that Brooklyn pick unprotected
2: yeah you know I, I think it's I think it's impressive for Cleveland um about that you know for that Brooklyn pick um you know for for Altman you know our rookie GM to to capture that pick when all the Celtics have been through with negotiating trades with this pick and, you know, turning down, you know, Jimmy Butler. I mean, it's just – it's interesting to me that they valued Kyrie Irving um, at that level when they had a guy like Isaiah Thomas. I understood – you know, I understand that, you know, they're going to have to pay Isaiah Thomas or would have had to pay Isaiah Thomas uh, here at the end of the year. But, you know, that that, uh, same reality is not too far in the future with Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, it's just – Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, I, at the end of the day, I do think Boston, I understand it because Kyrie fits their timeline. He's, you know, he's 25 years old. He's a young player. Um, You know, I think you, when you look down their roster and you look down their cap situation and you kind of project out the years, Irving falls off financially when they have a little bit more flexibility um, and he's obviously a younger player than Isaiah Thomas, like a lot of it makes sense to me. Okay. It really does. I see what they're doing. Um, but as much chess as they tried to play with the rest of the league, this just isn't the deal. Yeah. I really foresaw when it came to them, Yeah, they were just playing tough for so long. And now this is what you, <laughs> you know, this is what you get for, for all those picks that you just wouldn't give away. You just kept you, know, you were fighting the dead army off to keep these picks. And now this is, this is what you get them. So, you know, I, I just, I don't know. It's a little confusing, but again, I think Boston got better. I, I mean, I really do think I, Kyrie Irving is going to help them, especially in the regular season. As I said earlier, I think they could flirt with 60 wins. I mean, I, you know, 56 and a half is what Vegas says is a little bit ambitious, but Hey, it's not out of the question by any stretch of the imagination. Cleveland on the other hand, look, they did a great job. They got a, they got a, a first round pick next summer. Um, you know, a Brooklyn first-round pick. We have no idea what to expect from that team. They definitely got better this off-season, but uh, Brian, to your point earlier about the Sixers, you know, you know, they're just one of those teams. They're young, they're inexperienced. Um, the only difference of those two teams is Brooklyn does not have the incentive to lose that Philly does obviously because they don't own that pick, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, great job by Cleveland to get that pick. I think, you know, adding Jay Crowder is huge for them because he's exactly what they need. When you talk about matching up with golden state, um, just versatile guys who can switch across different positions. And all of a sudden Cleveland kind of has a switchy lineup. I mean, you know, if you can hide Isaiah Thomas, you talk about LeBron, Jay Crowder, uh, Jared Smith, Tristan Thompson. I mean, those four guys can pretty much switch across the court at that yep. point, which which is very um, very attractive when you talk about matching up with the Golden State. All that's way down the road. I actually, as of today, I might, and a lot of it will depend on the trade deadline in February, obviously, but I might think Boston actually has the upper hand against Cleveland going into next season. Call oh, me crazy, but I think they did get that much better. Um I just – I don't know. There's something in me to trust them more. Um, anyways, I've rambled now. Richie?
1: No, you guys said it all. But I, I think the situation that the Cavs were in, you have to applaud them for what they did because Kyrie put them in a tough situation. Um, he wanted out anyway. He wanted uh, a new situation and a new place, a new home. And for the little leverage that Cleveland had, they were able to get a pretty good haul with Isaiah Thomas and that, that first-round pick in 2018. Uh, In addition to Crowder in Zizic, I don't really know much about that guy. But, you know, another player that they had to add into that trade. Again, I guess a lot will ride on Isaiah Thomas's health. But I still I still like this trade for the Cavs a lot, you know, and for the Boston Celtics. Yes, they got better, but they also had to give up a lot in the process. But I I get it. Kyrie is is, is a a premier player that you have to give up a lot for. Um, But I don't know. Like you said, they're going to rely a lot on their young players. You know, players like Ojale and and Jalen Brown, uh, because they're giving away one of their top wings in Crowder there. Mm -hmm.
2: Um, So, you know, but like you said, Brian, earlier, you know, how does it affect the Hornets? How does it affect the East? I really just think that both these teams actually did improve from this trade. I think it separates them probably a little bit more when it's all said and done. Talent-wise, from the rest of the East, I don't really think it affects – the Hornets yeah. in any way, outs you know outside of maybe Cleveland just getting that much better from adding Jay Crowder in the regular season, which I don't think they will, and having to match up with a Cleveland or a Boston, except for the you know the vice versa scenario. Right. I mean, outside of that, I don't know really how it affects the Hornets, but um, yeah, I get Boston the upper hand to win the East uh, next season. Um, all right, the last thing we want to talk about is the Hornets two K. 2K- uh, t- team that was released. Who released this? Just I guess NBA two key two K? Yeah,
3: NBA two K put this out. Um uh, okay. like an all time team for every for every uh you know all thirty NBA teams. And so they were using guys that, you know, played for teams, you know, in franchises in different cities and stuff like that as well too. So um yeah, I guess this was just a way to kind of like you know build up some buzz for the game uh, as is, as it was you know, you know you know getting close to being released or or whatever with the NBA season not too far away. So yeah, they put together the all time Hornets team, and there was probably one or two sort of I don't I don't know if I want to say glaring omissions, but um, yeah, there was certainly one guy that I think caught a lot of sort of Hornets right. on the internet by surprise that. Uh, Gerald Wallace was not included uh on the D- on the team.
2: Yeah, when Raymond Felton is there, what the hell is that? Raymond, I mean, look, I have nothing against Raymond Felton, but how is Raymond Felton on there and the only Bobcat to ever be an All-Star? Uh yeah. Gerald Wallace not on there. It's just it, crazy to me.
3: It it doesn't that didn't make a lot of sense and like the Kenny Gaddison reach. I mean, I know he played for the Hornets for a long time and was on some came on the off the bench and some good teams in the nineties. But I mean, Gerald Wallace. I'm surprised he's not in the starting lineup. Actually, uh, one of the first the starting lineup was Kemba Walker, Eddie Jones, Glenn Rice, Larry Johnson, Alonzo Mourning. So I feel like they got that. You know, that's that's mostly right. But man, I, I mean, it would have it wouldn't have bothered me if, if Crash had landed in that above one of the two other wings on that team. So. Uh, yeah, I thought that was a, a little surprising, and just Gerald Wallace was like what was like the first real like piece of respectability that you could claim as a Bobcats fan. Uh, so yeah, it was just it was it was weird to see him not on there.
1: Yeah, I mean, with the seven season that he played, he was a very consistent type of player. Uh, he wasn't necessarily a three point shooter, but I feel like he shot you know, the best here in Charlotte. Uh, he did average 16 points a game, eight rebounds a game, two and a half assists. Um, you know, th- those are some numbers that should put you at least in the reserves list uh, with the Charlotte all-time team. Another thing that I thought was interesting, I was looking at these, and, and some of these players are on both, on both, like they're, they're on multiple teams, like Baron Davis is on this team plus the Pelicans. So another player that I, I kind of consider that should be on both is Jamal Mashburn. I feel like, I know he only played like a couple seasons here, but he's on the Pelicans, but not it's the Hornets. a great, Hornets. Point. Uh, that's a great point, man. I feel like uh, I think I of love- Mash a lot when I think of an all-time Hornets team. Like he's one of the first players that come into mind.
3: Yeah. No. That's a. That's a great. I didn't even. I, I really don't think. I didn't even think of Mash. I also thought Anthony Mason. I, mean, I know he was only here for three seasons, but he killed over me. 230 games. He averaged a double double in a
1: Hornets uniform and five assists. Shot-
3: shot above yeah and shot above 50 percent from the field too and like when i think well like I've, as a kid when i think of like watching hornets games on tv like i think of glenn rice and anthony mason mm-hmm. like those are the those are the, the teams that i i, I remember first when i was a kid so
2: i mean if uh, we're yeah. If we're talking about guys on multiple teams too. I mean Jason Richardson, I mean he yeah, was a
3: true. he was a,
2: a crazy good player for the Bobcats for a few seasons. Yeah, I mean, there's true, a guy true. who could you could plug into the starting lineup uh, over Eddie Jones. I mean, true. I think Eddie Jones true. is in a correct spot there, but I mean, you know, it's same kind of effect. I actually caught some heat on Twitter um Love actually this. a lot of heat actually, <laughs> not a little bit of heat, a lot of a lot of heat. A conversation <laughs> I just had to cut off. I know nothing about forever. this. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you dude don't. Was putting,
3: putting, um, some dude is putting Spencer on blast. Uh, oh,
2: blast. Yeah, hey, I appreciate it, by the <laughs> way, though. Um, <laughs> no, I mentioned, you know, hey, look, uh, Raymond Felton's in here. Jared Wallace is not. And then I got blasted for not mentioning that Emeka Okafor, you know, should be in there <laughs> over Derek Coleman. And, look, hey, look, Emeka Okafor, that's fine. Like, if you're ready to say he's one of the best uh, Charlotte NBA players ever over Derek? That, that's fine. I understand he was in Charlotte longer than Coleman. You know, whatever. But um, the only thing I saw on this list that really needed correction was Gerald Wallace. Yeah, yeah, I just think like the end of his career was so rapid. You know, it happened so quickly, and it was you know it was like in a buyout situation with the Celtics, I think. And it's like once we traded him to Portland, it just like his career just was like over. Mm-hmm. Like it just ended so quickly. And everyone just forgets, like he was an all-star not really that long ago. Yeah, and yeah. It, it take yeah, it should take nothing away from what he did for the Bobcats for for a number of years.
3: The and and I you know the it's worth mentioning too that of all of these Nets picks the Celtics have owned the last couple of years, I know at least a couple of them were through the were through the Gerald Wallace deal too, which is like unfortunately gonna end up being his like legacy more so than you know except amongst bobcat fans or whatever uh you know his legacy is gonna be like yeah he was one of the guys the celtics used to basically like hold you know put brooklyn in a heist so um yeah it's just it's weird i i agree the way this the quick end of his career was uh maybe maybe change the perception of some people have of him i don't know
2: yeah it was uh it was a little odd but um Jared Wallace, hey, look, you're always in the top 15 in my Charlotte basketball heart. So know that, if nothing else. Um, all right. I think we've done a, a pretty good job here, fellas. Richie, how long have we got here?
1: We've we've gone an hour and 15 so far.
2: An hour and 15 in uh, late August? That's, that's right. A, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, all right, guys. Well, that was fun. Uh, again, uh, I know I know what I want to do. I'm going to plug a few Queen City Hoops pieces that we have coming up. Again, we covered the Marvin Williams and Jeremy, Land. Uh, Jeremy Lamb player forecast uh, series pieces a little earlier. Uh, our main man, Mark, the guy that battles for Queen City Hoops and the Hornets every single day on Twitter, uh, has got the Dwight Howard piece coming on Friday, um, so look out for that. And then on Monday, Reese Helms. A great writer for Queen City Hoops has the Malik, the much-anticipated Malik Monk player forecast series piece coming. So make sure you're staying tuned uh, in for all those. We've got a lot left to come. They're really good so far. Um, and, uh, yeah, stay tuned in for those. All right, so on behalf of Richie, on behalf of myself, on behalf of Brian, uh, we'll probably see you guys, I don't know, probably in a few weeks again. You know, we're going to stay with this uh, every two weeks uh, schedule that we're on. Don't forget, we are a part of the Almighty Baller Radio Network. And, and don't forget to join or go visit almightyballer.com for all of your NBA coverage. Sports Channel 8, if you're a college football guy, especially if you're an ACC college football guy, go follow them on Twitter. Check out the website. The Weather Moose has got all your tailgate uh, situations. <laughs> hey, look, they've got all the college football point spreads covered you as of today i don't know mid-afternoon brian was a yeah. pick'em, pick them yeah hey that's pretty easy money right there and look hey i work yeah. at the university of richmond they're in the same conference as jmu so i'm not hating won the national championship in the fcs last year they mm. can play but as a pick'em on the road against the fbs team i don't know about that one but go know. yeah go follow uh sports channel 8 they're going to keep you locked in with all of the college football news that you need on the east coast anything else richie did i miss anything
1: no, we've we've covered it all. I mean, you know, as much as we can for a, uh, a late August podcast.
2: Exactly. All right, guys, it was fun once again. We'll see you here in a few weeks, Richie. Good luck in school. Get those kids straight, Brian. <laughs> be good. Yeah. See you guys. Yeah.